seated, please. Before we come to the Lord's table, I invite you to open the Word of God with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We easily become the victims of our moods, don't we? Our reactions, our disappointments, our ambitions are often governed by what's happening to us externally. But God wants us to learn to base our lives on the internal and eternal realities, not the external and temporal ones. God has provided for us to be victors instead of victims. The kind of life I'm talking about this morning is an infectious kind of life. To be known for hope, enthusiasm, and authenticity is appealing to everyone. And frankly, it's an uncommon way to live. In the three short, terse verses that are before us in our text today, God summarizes what our duty to him is as Christians in the midst of varying and changing circumstances of life. He says that our duty to him is to be joyful, to be prayerful, and to be thankful. When one is characterized that way, it produces delight in the life. This is not difficult duty. This is wonderful duty. And God orders it of us because it makes such an adventure out of life to live this way. He says in the first place, be joyful without limitation. Rejoice always. <clears throat> Someone has said the uniqueness of Christian joy lies in its emergence under the most adverse circumstances. You can trace that truth in scripture. Think, for example, of the apostles. And in the times when they were suffering persecution, and the scripture clearly says that they went out from the presence of those who had persecuted them with joy because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Or do you remember the apostle Paul and Silas after they had been cruelly beaten and thrown into jail because they preached Christ in Philippi? And that night around 12 o'clock, the scriptures tell us that they were singing hymns and praising God in their cells. And it says, the prisoners heard them. There weren't too many hymn singings like that at midnight in that jail. This was pretty unusual for them to be joyful, especially after being so cruelly treated. Paul's exhortation to the Philippians fits with this. He says, Rejoice always, and again I say, rejoice. Struggles, disappointments, and demands that come to all of us can ruin our days. They are joy embezzlers. But the solution is not to try to avoid struggles, because we'll spend the rest of our lives doing that unsuccessfully. The solution is not found in denying disappointments, for they're a part of life. 
nor is the solution found in ignoring demands because we all live with them. But the solution is found in choosing as an act of our wills to express a joyful attitude in the face of these things. It's a matter of how we choose to face life's struggles, disappointments, and demands. This joy of Jesus Christ that we can choose to experience is a joy that cannot be contained. I think of Scrooge after his ghostly encounters. Most of the movies depict Dickens' character rightly as being exuberant. His joy could not be contained after the change in his attitude. Well, true Christian joy is something like that. It cannot be bottled up. It has to be expressed. People who are joyful are pursued by other people because their spirit lightens the load of others. Chuck Swindoll says such people display a well-developed sense of humor, an optimistic outlook on life, and a light-hearted spirit. Isn't that great? Is that the way you're living? We all like to be around people like this. A well-developed sense of humor, an optimistic outlook on life, a light-hearted spirit. Christian joy is, of course, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we can choose to experience it only when we are yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And his Spirit is thus empowering us internally. Then this joy can be known. So I want to exhort all of us today not to permit our circumstances to become thieves, to rob us of our joy in Christ. Let's choose to exchange the spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. Now, this joy we're talking about is not blind optimism, but it rather is an inner delight in God and in his dealings with us. The Bible says that God loves a joyful giver. He also loves a joyful, cheerful servant. And Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Therefore, rejoice without limitation. And then he says, be prayerful without cessation. Pray without ceasing. Why do you think that prayer is next in this list? Perhaps it is because prayer is the means for us to deal with our heavy circumstances, the disappointments and the struggles and so on. Prayer is our means by which we are able to release our burdens to God so that we no longer have to carry them. That's a privilege that every child of God can enjoy. In northern Italy, about 610 A.D., there was a pious monk who had been baking bread and he had some dough left over. And so he formed that dough into thin pencil-like rolls. And then he twisted them into little figures representing children with their arms folded in prayer. He then coated those pieces of bread with syrup and salt and put them in the oven along with the loaves that he was baking. <clears throat> and when they came out, they proved to be very appetizing, and so he got an idea. Uh, he did not 
want simply to give away these morsels for no purpose. And so he promised boys and girls who would memorize their Bible verses and lessons from catechism that they could have one of these morsels. And because he intended to give them as a little reward, he called them that in his language, pretiola, from which we get our word pretzel. So the next time you eat a pretzel, remember that it reminds you that we can fold our hands in prayer at any time to God. What a special privilege that is. Pray without ceasing. But how do we do that? Are we to stay on our knees all day long? Well, of course, that would be silly to think that way. Pray without ceasing is not uninterrupted praying. It is not continuously occurring, but it's constantly recurring prayer. The same word is used in the original of a hacking cough, which is, yes, that's right. Thank you for illustrating that. A hacking cough is not a very pleasant thing to have to put up with. But it brings to us the idea of urgency, something that you just do spontaneously because you feel it's necessary. We ought to pray in the same manner. A few weeks ago, a friend and I were driving from Chicago back to the Twin Cities. We encountered a snowstorm all the way from Chicago up through Toma. It became obvious we were going to be late getting back to the Twin Cities, and his wife was to meet us at a certain place at a certain time. And so, uh, because we had borrowed the car of a friend, which has a cellular telephone in it, as we were driving up the interstate through the snowstorm, we punched in just a few numbers into that telephone, and it wasn't but a few seconds until we had his wife on the telephone as we were driving up the interstate. Absolutely amazing to me. I mean, I can't figure out yet how airplanes fly. I still can't figure out how you do this. And you talk to somebody, and theoretically we could talk to somebody on the other side of the world as we're driving along the interstate. They tell us in a few years that technology will be advanced enough that every one of us will have the opportunity to buy a telephone that we can carry with us, and we'll be assigned a personal number. It'll be about the size of a pack of cigarettes, if you'll pardon me, they say. You'll be able to carry it in your pocket and pull it out and make a telephone call from wherever you are. On the other hand, people will be able to reach you wherever you are. <laughs> the point is that you'll be able to make a phone call whenever you desire to do it, and that's the privilege of prayer, folks. We can be prayerful without cessation. Throughout the course of the day, we can frequently lift our thoughts and our words to God. Robert Thomas says, whether words are uttered or not, Lifting the heart to God while one is occupied with miscellaneous duties is the vital thing. Verbalized prayer will be spontaneous and will punctuate one's daily schedule as it did in Paul's writings. <clears throat> I like the idea of punctuate. Punctuate your day with prayer, says the apostle. And then he says, be thankful without hesitation. In everything, give thanks. Clarence McCartney, a famous preacher of another generation, used to tell the story of two men who were walking through a field one day, and they spotted as they were walking through the field an enraged bull. And noticing the two men, he instantly darted toward them, and they began running toward the nearest fence. 
Well, the bull was in hot pursuit of the two men. So terrified, one shouted to the other, John, put up a prayer. We're in for it. And John answered back and said, I, I can't. I've never made a public prayer in my life. Well, said his friend, you must. The bull's catching up to us. And so John panted, all right, I'll say the only prayer I know, the one that our father used to repeat at the table, oh Lord, for what we were about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> In everything, give thanks, says the scripture. <laughs> Whatever develops, however happenings may be combined, whoever calls or drops by, wherever you may be living or wherever you may be transferred, whatever conditions may occur, without hesitation, we are to receive all of these with a grateful heart. That's easy to do, of course, when the bull isn't chasing you, when your conditions are pleasant and prosperous, but it's not easy to do when you are in the midst of pain and disappointment or limitation and sometimes even routine. But gratitude is always the right attitude for the child of God. In the Bible, God tells us he is always and persistently working for our good. Therefore, in everything, we can be thankful. To live this way, he says, is to live in the will of God. There are some aspects of the will of God that we have a hard time figuring out, but we need not doubt regarding being joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Because that is always the will of God, and to live otherwise is to miss the will of God. And the fact is that you and I can live this way. If we couldn't, he wouldn't have told us to. We are in Christ Jesus, you see, if we're saved. If we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we can choose to live this way in him because we have the internal resources of the Holy Spirit to do it. We can be transformed in our attitudes so that instead of grumbling, we are thankful. We can be changed so that instead of being constantly anxious, we learn to be prayerful. We can be changed so that instead of being discouraged and depressed, we learn to be joyful in the Lord. Of course, the secret is that if we're going to be changed, the Holy Spirit has to be in charge. <clears throat> he comes to the point of being in charge when... We have confessed our sins, and our hearts are therefore clean. We have surrendered without any reservation, and we have intentionally resolved to follow Jesus Christ. There can be no doubt about it that when a person has met those conditions, the Holy Spirit will release the power of God in that person's life to be obedient and to be transformed. To choose to live as we've been commanded is an expression of faith. That we believe at least two things about God. First of all, that God is sovereign. And secondly, that he is good. 
I can be joyful today because God is bigger than my problems. And whatever they are, he is using them for good. Therefore, I can be joyful. I can be prayerful because God is able to change my circumstances or to preserve me in them so that his best for me is realized. I can be thankful because God controls what comes into my life and he will fashion it to accomplish my good and his glory. You see, to choose to live this way is an act of faith that God is sovereign and that he's good. And failure to live this way is an act of unbelief. What a way to live. What a way to live. Our duty to God. And it makes such a difference when we choose to live this way. Robert Thomas says the true victories in life are won by Christians who are joyful, prayerful, and thankful. I remind you to think of the Lord Jesus before he went to the cross. Indeed, the very night before he went to the cross, when he instituted this supper that we are about to partake of this morning, this Lord's Supper. The Lord Jesus that evening was filled with joy. He knew what was but hours away, but he was filled with joy. And he said to his disciples, my joy may be in you. John 15. He says to them, be of good cheer. You can see the smile on his face as he exhorts them. On that evening, the Lord Jesus was prayerful because he went to a garden, the scriptures tell, tell us, and there he prayed to his heavenly Father. And the Lord Jesus was thankful. He took the cup and he took the bread and he gave thanks because he knew exactly what the bread and the cup stood for. And he gave thanks to God for the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. The Lord Jesus lived this way and you and I can live this way too. Let's come to the Lord's table today in the will of God. Yielded to the Holy Spirit our sins confessed, and choosing by the power of God's Spirit within us to be joyful, to be prayerful, and to be thankful like Jesus was. Let's bow together, please. Father, so teach us to live. Forgive us when we are grumblers, when we see the dark side of things, and we allow negative thinking to dominate us. Forgive us for our proud independence in failing to pray and ignoring you throughout our days. Institute within each one of us a new desire this morning that by the Holy Spirit we might live victoriously over our circumstances and not as victims of them. With our heads bowed, I wonder if you would like to talk to God just for another minute or so about that. I'm going to ask those who are serving to join me in the front. Let's prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's table.